This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan. We are coming to you on Sunday, September 19th. And of course, the Cubs Related Podcast is your home for all things the 67 and 83 fourth place Chicago Cubs. Brendan, I know we're both just over the moon to be uh, chatting about this particular baseball team again, and we're happy to have everybody with us. Uh, I mean, listen, uh, we like talking about the Cubs, but th- this season I've been looking at my calendar. I'm like, all right, like two more weeks of, of, of doing this, and then we finally, it's not to say, oh, I don't want to talk about the Cubs, but we finally get into like, the beef of the offseason. Like, I want to start talking about you know, the November trade deadlines, all of that, talking about you know, what we're seeing in these last few games, not going to lie, it's getting kind of burdensome. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think, like, really, it it's more so just wanting to see what's next, I think, right? That's because what I mean, right? Yeah. we've talked about a lot of these guys, and now that we're down to the last few series, last couple weeks here, you know, only a handful of games left, for a lot of these conversations, they're really not going to change too drastically, right? Like if Ian Happ goes over his last 50, right? Or whatever it ends up being in these games. Yeah, that would be like pretty significant. But otherwise, you know, we kind of have a good idea of what happened with him this year and the stuff that is going to inform the coming decisions. Same with all these other guys that we talked about, you know, like again, like We've talked about Frank Schwindel a ton, and, you know, even after this weekend in Milwaukee, he's still got an OPS that's over 1,000. So, like, whatever happens here in these last few weeks, it's not really drastically going to change what we've kind of seen from him and what we think may be in there for the future. And so we're in this spot where it's just like, I just want to know what's going to happen with the CBA, what is going to happen with some of the position decisions that the Cubs have to make. How much money are they going to spend, right? Like, I just want to get to it. I just want to have some answers. And even if they're not good ones, I don't even know if I'm optimistic on some of this stuff. But like, I just want to know, because really since the trade deadline, we've been in this same spot. The the future seems uncertain, but once you get into late October, November, you get rumors about the CBA, and then you'll get hints at what the Cubs are going to do with their budget, uh, whom they're going to go after. Are they going to trade some of the current guys? That That's the long-lasting implications we want to talk about. And really what I'm looking at now in the last two weeks, the only like major uncertainty that I think perhaps the last two weeks gives us some idea is the Nico Horner situation. Yeah. Outside of that, we know what the deal is with Alice like coming out of the pen we know the deal with steel what we're looking for i don't even think what steel does now in his last two or three stars is going to change anything and we'll get into it this this episode but this is <laughs> i mean these last two weeks man and like we talked last episode there are still trends to follow i'm still looking at how are pitchers changing their sequencing against schwindel and are they attacking patrick wisdom differently and those are useful but to what degree that's going to change 2022? It's like probably nothing, right? It's just giving us an idea of what the league is doing to adjust to those guys. If the Cubs end up wanting to go with them as staple figures in their 2022 lineup, I just, Corey, I just need to get through these next two weeks. That's that that that's really where, where yeah. I'm at at this point. Well, and I think there's also something too, like, 
I not that I ever want them to go into a season with low expectations or expecting to be bad or anything, but I, I think as we've discussed this season and you know, I think kind of why a lot of us are, are looking forward to, you know, maybe it ending uh in the not too distant future is because it started with different expectations, right? And so now we're in this place where we've been, you know, watching a fourth place team for a few months here. And that even if you didn't have high expectations uh, coming out of this offseason, you know, especially after the Darvish trade and stuff, I don't think any of us really expected to be here um, no. in this particular moment. You know, especially now, it didn't look like this was going to happen for a while, but now it does look like the NL Central may produce two playoff teams and the Cubs aren't going to be one of them. How do you feel about that? I was, listen, I think the way that Jed ended up handling the, the trade deadline, you can see the justification of it given the Padres standing and where the Cubs were trending and the injuries. But you do have to wonder like, hmm, you know, if they kind of stuck with these guys, could they have actually competed right. for this last wildcard spot? I have thought about that the last few days. I think at the current moment, of course, I don't want to trade Rizzo, but you understand the process yeah. there. So, I mean, I think, you know, look, I, I think you guys all know that Brendan and I's stance, I, 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 you know, sometimes we don't view things exactly the same, but like in a general sense, we didn't want to trade any of those guys. We wanted them, most if not all of them, to be locked up long term and to continually just be investing in this group and, you know, you know, not doing exactly what the Giants have done, but, you know, you see them with older talent, the guys that have won championships with them before, and they went through some not so great years, and then they surrounded them with different talent, right? So that generally would have been, you know, kind of our preference, maybe not an exact replica. I think when I look back at this, though, like, and I I understand, you know, where you're coming from with this question. I've seen this discussed a lot, right? Um, especially because the Cardinals may get that second wild card spot and are not going to have, you know, they're not going to win 95 games, right? Like, so it, it was doable from where the Cubs were. When I look back on it, though, I think we were all kind of right at the time in that the Cubs mm. did the one thing they could not do. At the worst time, they couldn't do it. And that was right. lose 11 straight games. <laughs> and I really think to that's how it teams. is. And yeah. again, yeah. even after that, you and I, we were begging, pleading for them to extend Chris Bryant or extend Anthony Rizzo or extend Javi Baez. Just keep some of these guys, like, don't, you know, throw it all away, right? But man, like, I do look back and understand, especially given the ownership situation. So whatever Jed's budget is going to be and all that other stuff that we've talked about ad nauseum, when they lose 11 straight games and look the way that they did during those games, right? Blowing those games in Milwaukee and falling apart after the no hitter in Los Angeles. I understand that at the time, it would have been very difficult for Jed to say, you know what, we're not going to get anything for any of these guys. We'll take our chances. We'll see if we can, you know, reopen the contract negotiations. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But we might be able to sneak into one of those wild card spots. Because at the yeah. time, like, San Diego wasn't doing this. San Diego has fallen apart at the seams, right? I love They're it. yelling at each other in the dugout. That. Yeah, at that. I mean, I an great. absolute mess of a situation for a team that kind of pushed all the chips in, right? And, you know, again, I'm not, don't twist my words. I'm not at all advocating for 
how we got to where the Cubs ended up doing things. None of this was my preferred direction, right? If it were up to me and Brendan, KB and Anthony, at least in particular, right, would have been extended years ago. So this wouldn't have been, this would not have been a discussion. But I think all things considered at the time, it would have been a really big gamble for Jed to have thought that this was going to be possible. Oh, I totally agree with that. Given where they were, you know, late June, early July, you see the writing on the wall, like, all right, this team likely is not going to compete for a playoff spot. I, I go even further back because I'm a sick person, so I think about late at night, and I wonder the, I mean, last offseason with the budget ramifications and the uncertainties with COVID and, you know, fans in the stands and marquee network, I understand all of that. I, I, I do. I get why Jed had a trade. Darvish in San Diego, and he got back a very young yet highly talented group of, of teenagers. But there is part of me that does wonder. It's like, all right, you know, if you kind of either kept Darvish or traded Darvish for immediate value. Maybe that protects against that collapse in June if you go out and rather than signing Jock Peterson, but maybe someone a little bit more stable, that protects against that collapse. And ultimately, you're able to extend this win window, not just in 2021, but maybe 2022, and that changes things. And that's that's what I think about. And I'm thinking about that right now as, as I even talk about this. I... I don't know. It's a messed up situation and we'll never know the answer. And it's also not even worth thinking about because this is our reality now. And our reality is we have a very young, talented, high ceiling farm system with Brennan Davis knocking on the door. And a lot of guys in the Arizona Complex League, like James Triantos and now Owen Casey's been promoted, but you also have like Christian Hernandez, uh, Kevin Alcantara, those guys going off in the Arizona Complex League. And this is our this is now our reality. Right. But I think ten years from now, twenty, thirty years from now, I will go back to this offseason and, and this the way they handled the first few months of the season and always think, huh, like what like what if right. what if they did this and did that and that led to competing and maybe bringing back Rizzo and and, and extending KV. I don't know the answer to that, but I I will always think Well about I think it. it it also boils down to of course you and I try to analyze things. We try to be as rational and pragmatic as possible. And when you Look, you know, when you look at stuff like this, you try to analyze things in a more prudent way, right? Like we always say, like we don't control the budget, it is what it is, so we're not going to dwell on it over and over again. But I think like this situation in particular, like we try to explain it, we try to understand all the nuance, we try to give Jed, you know, the benefit of the doubt given the circumstances, blah, 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 right? Because that's the reality, that's the business, that's just how this is. In a vacuum, though, like, I think you and I both would agree, like, what we want is the Cubs to be attempting to be competitive all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so no matter how much we understand what happened at the trade deadline and the motives behind it, the reasonings behind it, whether we like them or not, et cetera, et cetera, the ultimate result was that the Cubs chose a path that was punting on competitiveness for this particular season. Right. And that's never what you and I want, Right. And of course, like, yes, we get it. Like, they replenish the farm system. That's good. As we move toward the future here, that's good. And maybe in a year or two years, we'll forget about all of this. We'll be watching some of these guys at Wrigley Field and, and going through another really good 
run of Cubs baseball, and it'll all have been worth it, right? Of course, that's the goal. But in a vacuum, I don't ever want them doing that, right? Like, I want them approaching every trade deadline as, you know, with a killer instinct trying to win, right? And if if that means that they sacrifice some prospects or they lose out on some comp picks or whatever it is, okay, fine, right? Deal with it, you know? Keep that killer instinct and fix the problem afterward, right? So that's that's not how it works, That's what it's... That's what it seems like those ultra-stable, competitive teams have done in the last decade. You look at a team, I I hate them with every single cell of my body, but you look at the Dodgers and they're able to do that. We're making a trade for Max Scherzer does hardly anything to their future projection somehow. And other teams such as the the Rays with that minimal budget, somehow they're able to develop, you know, these pitchers and these hitters out of nowhere and make these trades like uh, Nelson Cruz for seemingly nothing that's going to affect their future. And, And you wonder like how... Like, how did the Cubs not ultimately? Well, end this is up a long being... discussion. <laughs> I know, but that's where I'm thinking. I didn't. I didn't right know now. we would be talking about like Theo and Jason McLeod on this episode. <laughs> right. That might be an off-season well, episode. We're, we're but, not. We're not. Yeah. We're not. But it just goes to the point where, like, I don't interpret the June and July collapse and the the consequential trades that resulted from that just within that time frame. Like I think about, okay, what could have been done, you know, in that offseason and what could have been done in the previous deadline or whatever. What, ha- what happens if you don't trade like Heimer Condelario, Jaime Condelario and Isaac Pereira for Justin Wilson? Like, like, stu- sure, like stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And, and I think as I talk out loud about this, I don't want to get into this this episode, but as I talk out loud about this, like this is not just like angle that jet. This is not a jet problem. And to a degree, I don't want to defend, you know, ownership per se, but like, you know, like when you're not developing mm-hmm. oh, your talked about system, that, yeah. I know, I know, but it gets misconstrued. But when you're not developing There's your no system in a way that seems... That's one of the taglines <laughs> of the never show, is. so yeah. yeah. But when you're not when you're not developing talent and you're not producing stable baseball players as other franchises have done, then you're going to have dumb owners yeah. like make drastic decisions. So you want to make that decision as obvious as possible, and like the front office failed to do that for there, so many years. There were a lot of issues um, that we can get into or not get into one day as to why this all happened the way that it did. But you you know we will. We'll get into it eventually. Yes, um, but. I think, you know, again, it's all very nuanced. It is a, it is a fair point, and I'm glad you brought it up, though. Like, I, I do think, you know, it, it, it is an interesting sort of position to be in where it, at least for the moment, you know, th- things can change, of course, over these last couple of weeks, and the Cubs are going to have their hand in this with the Cardinals uh, with six games, or seven games, excuse me. Um, but it is, you know, sort of a fair point to be like, huh, right? Like, these teams were kind of in a similar spot, and one chose one direction, one chose the other. Um, you know, the Cardinals don't have as much pressure uh, with some of those contracts and stuff like that that the Cubs do. So not, you know, not a carbon copy of a situation, but one chose one path, one chose the other, and one appears to be having a chance in the playoffs, right? It might be a destination yeah. with the Dodgers in a one-game playoff, which isn't great, but hey, a shot's a shot, right? So Teach their own, I guess. Uh, well, this is why a lot of people. I remember in, in years past, like I remember reading a, uh, you know, this is way back then, but a, a Dave Cameron article by Fangraphs in like 2012, and the argument was never punt because baseball you cannot accurately 
predict right. baseball. You just can't do it. Like even, and I always think about this, and I've brought it up in years past, but even if you, with 100% certainty, can predict how many runs you give up and how many runs you score, your, your run differential, there is still a standard deviation of like four to five wins. Like even if you could predict everything accurately, baseball's so stupid that sequencing some weird BS can happen. And while you may have deserved 94 wins, if you get screwed and you're in the bottom end of that sequencing, you could end up with like 86 wins and miss a playoff spot, even though you deserve you know, 94 wins. And I, oh, I always think about that when we make these types of like franchise altering moves as we did, but whatever. Well, and, and, you know, I think, um, you all, I, what I would love to know, and I'm sure we'll never get this. And, and even if he told us, you'd never know that it would be like exactly what was going to happen. But, you know, because we heard so much from them about how they were going to be light buyers at the deadline and stuff like that, when they were, when they were going well, I wonder like what, what would have been like the bare minimum below losing 11 straight games that things wouldn't have played out this way, right? Like if they had gone like, I, you know, I don't know, three and eight in that stretch, do, does this all look the same? Do, don't we know that answer though? Did he Didn't say Jed, that? Jed said. I think he, I, when... what I remember him saying was like, we could not go another direction after that. Like after losing yeah. that many and that series in Milwaukee blowing those leads, there was no place for us to go other than that. I think he added to that. Like once they blew that 7 nothing lead in Arietta, just That that absolute, was the tipping point. That yeah. that was it because he pulled his scouts away from yes, scouting right, major yes, leaguers. Right. So that was apparently it. So maybe if they ended up like winning I just games wonder, here. like, what if they steal one of those games in LA? Right? They they leave oh, that series going, with a no hitter and a split. A rabbit hole in LA. Oh. Does that? Oh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's a terrible <laughs> yeah. rabbit hole to go down. But it is. Um, you know, and then you look at things too. Like, you know, we 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 likely would not have seen any of this from uh, Frank Schwindel, so you can't really factor him in. But it is interesting to sort of look at someone like Patrick Wisdom and think like he's kept this up, right? Like he's had his yeah. his struggles. We talked about that in the last episode. But you know, for the most part, if you had kept everybody, you would have had Patrick Wisdom with an eight forty ish OPS. You know, sitting somewhere in that lineup. So anyway, <laughs> this is a, yeah, you're going a terrible rabbit terrible hole. rabbit hole. Yeah, man. That we've ended up in, but it's it's also a terrible reality that we've ended up in, Brendan. That you know, you're watching like I'm watching the Reds lose to the Pirates every night, and the Cardinals just beating everybody. Tyler O'Neill is all of a sudden the most the hottest hitter in the league, yeah, and they're just going to waltz into there. the playoffs. Nobody else wants it. Nobody the 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 Padres, the Reds, um, the Phillies. You know, the Mets are way out now. Like, but none of these teams can bother to get their you know their stuff together to keep the Cardinals out of the playoffs. And it just seems I, every year it seems like they just manage to sneak their way in. I am reminded though. Like when you look at the like the, the the Padres collapse, right? And we were talking about this before we started. You know, they committed like half a billion dollars to their team last off season. And you think about what the Cubs did in the, in the 2015, 2016 off season. Like, imagine as a fan, you have those expectations. You have someone as prominent as Fernando Tatis, and you collapse like this. And it makes me appreciate the fact that we were able to win that World Series. And 
and fulfill all the hype and the potential and all like the years of following those prospects. And for other teams, even the Dodgers, they've never won a real World Series. They won a make-believe fake spring training World Series that no one even cared about in Texas true, last yeah. year. Right? So I'm... This is always like a good reminder for me that you appreciate hard, those World yeah. Series wins. It is. And going forward, whatever happens with this current team and everything, like you can't look back and pinpoint a collapse as severe as this Padres one. You just can't. I'm sorry. I know they've like had down swings for at their the end of September. Yeah. Of course, but you never had, you never had like Chris Bryant saying, it's not effing about you to Anthony Rizzo yeah, in the dugout. Bad. And for that, I'm, that's bad, man. And I'm like, I'm just like thankful that never happened to us. Well, we had the Wilson Rizzo spat earlier this year. Yeah, but we were, or, you know, they have, they have World Series rings yes, in their lockers at that point. Right. So, People you know, that. yeah. Okay. Anyway, this awful discussion aside, uh, we can talk a little bit about the 2021 Cubs. I Ugh. I hear that, and I hear from all of our listeners like a collective groan, like, eh, you know, you don't I have know. to, you guys. We're soon enough. We'll be making stuff up about the off season, so you guys sit tight. But some stuff going on in this Brewers series. The Brewers take two of three from the Cubs here, eight to five on Friday, six to four on Saturday, and the Cubs get them back six to four on Sunday. And the first place to start before we go into some of the guys that we're, you know, kind of hyper-focused on, we talked about him, you know, more in depth recently, Brendan kind of taking us through uh, the kind of ebbs and flows of his successes and struggles and things like that. But we do need to look at Patrick Wisdom again. Uh, A very interesting game for Patrick here because he strikes out four times in five at-bats, but the one hit that he has is a three-run home run. And if you were paying attention on the last episode or to the marquee broadcast or social media today, that means that he has 27 home runs on the season, which means that the franchise leader for the Chicago Cubs in the history of the franchise for rookie home runs is now owned by Patrick Wisdom. (laughs) <laughs> so again, we kind of talked about this when he tied the record, you know, noting that he came up, you know, he's called up in May, he didn't play at all a full season here, and he still managed to do this. Um, you know, he's a particular player, right? The strikeout rate is very high. The defense is good. He's a versatile player, strong arm, and the power is there. So what that means for him going forward, we'll see. I think certainly, you know, at a baseline, he's got a spot. He's got a role on pretty much any team, I would think. Uh, you know, when you can have an 830 OPS over this many plate appearances and nearing 30 home runs, that's going to play maybe not in the middle of the order, maybe not every day. We'll see. Uh, but it's going to play. And so, you know, we don't have to go too much into it, Brendan, but just have to take a moment to just uh, acknowledge that. And, and uh, I'm sure he's a listener. So, you know, congratulations, Patrick. This is, is, I mean, this is really something. I mean, for someone to come up in, in late May and not even be playing every day when he first came up and set a franchise record is really quite something. This is my perception, and this is, you know, just my little world that may not be reality, but I feel as if it's not being appreciated. I feel as if, despite the 27 home runs, breaking the rookie record, and as a 30-year-old, too, which is really, really impressive for someone to, like, stay at it that long, I, I, I don't feel as if it gets the level of appreciation because the question is then, asked 
can this continue? Can this continue for 2022, 2023, and so on? But I don't know if that's like the right way to think about this, because even if the Cubs stick with wisdom for 2022 at third base, we know that's not enough. Like we know they're going to have to go out and spend money to get stable, projectable hitters. And it's not to say that like wisdom is is not going to be a major contributor indefinitely, but regardless, like to be a stable competitor, you need someone with a track record who's worth millions upon millions of dollars to be added to this team. And so that's, to, to, to me, like, I think the what Wisdom has done in, in potentially hitting 30 home runs this year, he still is going to deserve that conversation to be a contributor for 2022. And the question is not, can he continue this? And should the Cubs allow him to continue to, uh, to, to add to this? But really, it's it's the added flexibility that he's given to the Cubs to be competitive for 2022. This has been a huge plus. And if they can go out, and we'll talk about this exhaustively throughout the offseason in different scenarios, but if they can go out and supplement wisdom, and if it ends up being Schwindel or whomever in the outfield, even Ian Happ, if they can supplement those guys with stable guys in the middle of the order or top of the order, this is huge. They came out of the woodworks. We had no expectations for someone like Patrick Wisdom. And for years, I wished the Cubs were able to produce someone that had no expectations like the Dodgers have done, like the Rays have done, like the Cardinals do seemingly for eternity. And the Cubs did it. This year, they did it. They were able to produce potentially the rookie of the year as a 30-year-old. That is beyond impressive. And he's doing this in a way that the realistic discussion is maybe he is going to be a stable contributor. Yeah, well, and I I never really expected to be in a place where when we were looking back, you know, obviously different sets of plate appearances, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, you look at like the lineup today, like the two highest numbers, you know, if you're looking at OPS are Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom, right? Like, yeah, the new, the new two guys who, uh, you know, like Wilson Contreras isn't there. Um, you know, David Bodie's not there, guys like that. Like, it's these two guys. So uh, that's... I, like, Corey, can you imagine if David Bodie and Wisdom's jerseys were flipped and they had different numbers? Like, if Bodie was doing this right now, like we would be all over Bodie just because you had that history, that, that ability to expect that this could be the ceiling mm-hmm. for David Bodie. And the Cubs spent $15 million, you know, right. committed five years for this level of production that's instead coming from a veteran without that well, type veteran of track record. age it, only. Yeah, isn't that funny that we're talking about that? It's like, oh, you're a rookie of the year, but you're kind of a right. veteran. Um, but it just, yeah. I, I, I'm i more so fascinated in how how did this happen? Like, how, how did all of a sudden Wisdom go and be on a scalable record if you scale by plate appearance? It's like 40-plus home runs. How? That's what I want to know. Did the Cubs make changes in their, like, swing hit infrastructure that contributed to this? What the hell happened? And if this is actually because of the Cubs' developmental system, who's next? Can we talk about this in the context as we do with the bullpen and potential starters? That's what I'm more so interested in. 
Because if we get that information, then I think it gives more validity that maybe, you know, going with Patrick Wisdom is more of a certainty than it is a possibility. Well, and it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think ever not going to be fascinating that a guy in his situation, his age, you know, having been let go from other teams and, you know, not, not given as much of an opportunity. And, you know, I was looking at the, I think the tweet, I can't remember if it was from the Cubs account or the Marquee account. But it was, you know, listing the rookie home run seasons. And I think it was Ian Happ in 2017, and then Billy Williams, and then Chris Bryant, and then Patrick Wisdom. <laughs> and it's just like, this is, I mean, this is nuts. I mean, that's crazy, right? right? Like, right. and, you know, no no disrespect to Ian Happ, but just like specifically that run for Billy Williams, Chris Bryant, and Patrick Wisdom <laughs> on top, right? Like, that's nuts. That's That's really crazy. And even when he came up originally and was doing this, and we were all like, oh my God, Patrick Wisdom, what's going on? And he's just, you know, kept bopping home runs. I don't think anybody would have said like, no. yeah, this guy's going to break the franchise record for for doing this crazy it's yeah, it's man. really something uh so congrats to him yeah. uh we will you know we'll continue to see what these last couple weeks look like for him but i i do think you know again what they decide to do with him is certainly not decided at least i wouldn't think it is it depends on a, a myriad of different factors but as we've talked about a lot um i think the baseline for what you have in him is kind of settled and it, and it's really just up to the front office to decide you know how much do we believe in this do we believe that some of these things can still be tweaked and improved upon can we get that k rate down a little bit and you know do you view him in an everyday role or a mostly everyday role a platoon role whatever it is but i, I think you kind of have an idea of what his key attributes are the good and bad ones and I don't think that's going to change over these last couple weeks but we'll you know continue to keep an eye on and if anything drastic sort of mm. pops out uh well yeah go ahead yeah well I also the, the way you talked about the platoon possibility with with wisdom there was a recent athletic article I forgot if Sahad of Sharma or if uh, Patrick Mooney wrote this so I apologize for not giving due credit but they went into detail with David Ross about the future roles for the next competitive team, and specifically if it will involve your classical traditional everyday lineup, or instead if it will involve kind of a, a swinging cast of players where you're not having a stable everyday lineup, more so what you see out of Tampa Bay and recently San Francisco and protecting maybe some veteran players. Because the point was brought up, which I found very fascinating, that the only player on the Giants who started over 100 games at one position is their shortstop and Brandon Crawford, and they move around everyone else. And so it made me think about Wisdom and Schwindel and Alfonso Rivas and maybe Michael Hermosillo next year. Are there roles for those guys, not in the traditional sense that we've been used to thinking as starters, but in a new era of utilization of your roster where they make sense and they can be used against certain types of pitchers. And you bring in a complementary piece against a certain other type of pitcher. And that's kind of the way the Cubs become competitive again that preserves money spent 
that can be spent elsewhere on starting pitching or other areas of, of pressing need. And that's where I really kind of dial in on why this season for Wisdom was so important because maybe there is scenarios where he is the ideal candidate to do a roster like that. And so it has tremendous value that may not be like as obvious in the current moment, but we may be looking back come March or even sooner where it does make sense that this was really almost like an ideal turnout for us. Yeah. So want to um, look at someone who is back, and that is Nico Horner. So, you know, firstly, you know, for a guy who's had a few injury scares this season, always just good to see him back, right? Anytime you're dealing with injuries, um, you know, and and obliques and hamstrings and then the different stuff that he's dealt with, you know, you're always just glad that this stuff isn't more significant because you've certainly seen any number of those things derail seasons and, and stuff like that. So glad that he's back. Good to see him. Um, he goes 0 for 4 on Sunday starting the game at shortstop. Uh, so that's good to see. So we've we've talked about him a good bit, and I don't think, not to put words in your mouth, but you know, with so few games left, I'm not really sure that any of this may be super transformative in in terms of what the front office is doing or thinking. But from your perspective, obviously, as we head into the off season and into 2022, one of the key questions seems to be, what is Nico Horner's role? Is he the presumptive everyday shortstop? Is it a, you know, Horner, Madrigal, middle of the infield? What it, what are they going to do with that? And how does the fact that, you know, Nico's obviously had, um, you know, not the season that he would have wanted and, you know, wasn't able to be out there all the time, um, how does that affect things? So, my question to you is over these last few weeks, maybe even if it doesn't completely change your mind or anything like that, that's fine. But what do you just want to see from him? Like, what would you want to see from him in these last few weeks, assuming that he's starting at shortstop every day to where at the end of the season, you would feel good about him, you know, being the starting shortstop? Is that not possible for you to feel that way? Like, just what do you want to see from him in these last few weeks since they brought him back? And and I think it's it's clear that they want to see something from him and have him get back out there. Because, you know, when a guy has an injury and you're already n- near the end of September, you could have just shut him down, right? But they sent him back on a rehab assignment. They brought him back up. They clearly want him out there to get these reps. So what do you want to see from him? Well, the first area of focus for me is defensively at shortstop. I think we've seen his top-tier defense at second base now for about two years. And Nico's talent level and his physical maturity has changed since he debuted in 2019. He's bigger. He's gained weight. He's worked out with Faleka last offseason to improve some of his like power features, even though we haven't seen it. But he's physically different than what he was in 2019. So... The scouting reports that we do have, the majority of them are in the context of what scouts saw during that time period. Now, we know that scouts could not travel. They could not see maybe as closely some of the opposing team's players. And so my opinion is that we don't have confident scouting reports for Nico at shortstop. I don't think they exist. I think they're all very uh, uh, broad in their projections and when I watch Nico play second base now, he looks different than what he looked like two years ago, three years ago, whatever it is. 
So I'm looking at that because if he can actually apply his defensive value from second base to shortstop, in my mind, it changes the outlook drastically because his baseline floor level value just gets boosted. I mean, he's quite literally by outs above average, a 95th percentile defender at second base. And that's in part due to range, probably, you know, natural instinct, first step, such, such, such as that stuff, cannot be applied to shortstop. And one very justifiable potential criticism was that his arm is not suitable for shortstop. And his range, although it looks good at second base, it's not going to translate to shortstop because range in the context of other second basemen is not fair because other second basemen are not shortstops. And I understand that. I just don't, at this moment, I don't buy into the belief that it's a certainty that he's not a major league, above major league average uh, shortstop. I just, I, I don't buy that. So for me, the next two and a half weeks here, I'm dialed in on his defense. I think at this point, in terms of offense, you can't get a reliable sample of of uh, what to expect from Nico from here on out. It's going to be around 50 plus plate appearances, probably. The only reliable sample you can draw from that is plate discipline numbers, like contact rate and you know chase rate, stuff like that. And we already knew that Nico has made improvements and is stable in that regard. We already know Nico's a contact guy who has okay plate discipline, and he's going to hit for batting average. We already knew that. So the next two and a half weeks, it's not going to inform anything else. The only way that you may get more information is if he goes off and hits like three, four homers or something like that, which might be possible, who knows. But you will get a better idea of what he is as a defensive shortstop. And let's say he goes out, and even in that small sample... That data is not going to be completely reliable, but if some of the plays he makes rates better than your average shortstop, and if it passes the eye test and you talk internally with your scouts, with your coaches, there is tons of value there as well. And if they think, okay, Nico's made some pretty noticeable improvements from from the time he debuted in 2019, then that might change what you do in the offseason going out and getting a shortstop from free agency, or it might change how you go out and utilize Nick Madrigal and, and, and Nico. Maybe you don't end up using Nico and Madrigal as that second base, you know, like not platoon, but matching up against certain players. Maybe you end up using them both in the same lineup because now you can put Nico at shortstop. So I think that's kind of the intention of bringing him back. But I'm also interested too, will they use him in like center field one or two games, if at all, in the outfield elsewhere besides center field? That might be interesting. But that that that's where I'm at. I'm glad to see Nico back. I really am. I think from the, the terms of his offense, it's 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 too late, you know. I would love to have seen more power this year. I'm disappointed in that. Uh, it's a huge uncertainty offensively for me going forward because of that. Although I still believe in that offensive profile, I just wish I had more certainty in projecting that. For defense, I think we'll we'll be able to learn what we can at least somewhat expect going forward. Just in these in these next what is it ten ten or so games. Yeah, I, I I think I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm glad that he's back, and I'm glad that we're going to get any information that we can, right? You know, when a guy gets hurt as late as he does, and it's that type of injury, and you just never know, um, 
you just, when it first happened, you really just were not sure, are we going to see him again? And are we even going to get another look at him, you know, kind of out there every day at shortstop? So even though it's going to be a brief one, good to see him back out there. Glad he's healthy. And, you know, we'll kind of be able to evaluate at least a little bit of what we're seeing. And at least that's uh, something here to round out the year. So um, kind of vaguely, I guess, we did see, you know, some of the pitchers that we have been keeping an eye on. It was a rough weekend for Rowan Wick uh, this weekend there in Milwaukee, um, but he had been really good and, you know, of course, is uh, still working himself back from an injury. So it is what it is. You know, obviously, again, he's another guy where it's so late in the year here. You're going to have to go into spring training, ramp it up again, see what you have, etc. Um, but, did want to check in with you. Uh, we did see Justin Steele on Saturday, four innings, two hits, two earned, four walks, and four strikeouts. The two hits were both home runs. So, you know, kind of two two hits, good, both of those hits being home runs, bad. Uh, that was on 79 pitches. We did see uh, Adbert Alzali relieve him for three innings, four hits, two runs, both of them earned, no walks, and three strikeouts, so that's better. One of those hits uh, a home run, though, on 58 pitches in those three innings, and then we did see Keegan Thompson get the start again on Sunday, two innings, one hit, no runs, but two walks and no strikeouts on 40 pitches in those two innings. So, um, we've talked about these guys a lot and, you know, these were, uh, shorter outings from some of these guys, but anything that, that stood out to you from these guys and, you know, I guess kind of similar, you know, you've broken this down for us basically every episode and we're nearing the last handful of outings for these guys, right? Um, you know, depending on the role that they're in, um, anything that, that you're particularly hoping to see in these last couple outings? Do you kind of have your your mind made up a little bit on, on where they're going to slot in, in in maybe a more ideal off-season picture? And what did you think from, from this weekend in Milwaukee? The whiffs from Alzali is encouraging. I know he gave up runs, but he's whiffing guys. And we know from Tommy Hadevi, one of the intentions of putting him into the bullpen was to get him out of a starter mentality and try different things. And so the fact that he was able to go and get seven whiffs, throw faster out of the pen, his velocity, his forcing velocity was over one mile per hour faster than his year average as a starter. So I like that. That might change his mindset. That might put him in an environment where you need more whiffs and I like that. Again, I know ideally you want to see him not give up runs, but this is what they chose for him to do. It's a new challenge for him, and I like that. For Steele and Thompson, they're on completely different planets for me right now. For Thompson, he just came back from an injury, and so that's represented by only throwing 40 pitches. So not only... Do we need to see if Thompson and what his projections are for 2022? But we also need to see how he's going to return from an injury this year in the next handful of outings. At, at this point, I feel like the book on Thompson is is written for 2021. Now he can go out and we'll see how they end up using him and what his stamina is like. And maybe like the the return from injury is not as big of a ramp up period that I'm kind of expecting at this point, but I would say September 20th, I, I, 
I feel as if it's more likely that the book on Thompson is more or less written for this season. And we'll go into the next offseason and spring training in the early part of 2022 with Thompson as a potential depth starter. But I don't feel as if there's anything he can do to solidify his name as a potential like opening day starter at this point. I think he's more so destined to be that swing type role that may be able to have a chance and prove himself come 2022, which is great. That's fine. That's still a huge development for his career for this season. Steel, uh, still different. The the way we've been talking about Steel has been very much on a game-to-game basis because he's been looking differently on a game-to-game basis on what pitches he uses. For example, he'll be a sinker starter. He'll be a four-seam starter. He'll lead with those pitches. It's, it's very different from start to start. Against Milwaukee, he threw mostly fastballs, man, mostly four-seamers, mostly sinkers, and then he had his uh, slider to finish off, guys. That's what he ended up choosing. The walks were an issue. I was surprised that he was able to that he ended up walking four guys with with out throwing so many secondary pitches. But that's what what happened. Walkie is a a very balanced, uh, patient lineup, and that, that's that's what happened uh, for Steele. I mean, you guys know the picture at this point. It's it's monitoring what he does sequencing from each start to the start. But we've had a, 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 a what now, like seven or so starts since we've been covering this. You know the deal with him, right? Like I feel like even in the next two to three starts, it's not going to change much what you expect from the Cubs and his potential role for 2022. This is what he is. He's someone who's able to throw mid-90s as a lefty who has a slider curveball who is working on a changeup, and from game to game he's trying to find whether he should leave with his four seam or his two seam his slash sinker and that's where we are at at this point which is again great for his development he was not someone who I think we kind of pegged as a realistic starter for 2022 at the onset of the season and it just goes to show you kind of how far we've come what I'm looking for for the next few starts with Steele is health, honestly. It'd be great to go in the offseason without any types of like injuries, and he's able to continue this trajectory and work on new stuff. But I feel as if from those three guys, we know what to expect, and those three guys being Azalei, Steele, and, and Thompson. I'm more confident about Azalei's role, maybe than you are, Corey. We've had discussions about this. Maybe I'm a little bit too confident about Azalei, but I, I trust his stuff more than the other two guys and I trust his stuff more from just like a data perspective but I trust his stuff more because we've seen more of it and also because he developed it more recently and the fact that he's able to go out there and showcase these new pitches and have success so quickly makes me believe that he's able to then adjust going forward very quickly and maybe the adjustments he needs to make can be made quickly for 2022 and that's a big that's that that's big for me i want a pitcher who can go out and be able to adjust on seemingly a game-to-game basis which is what kyle Hendricks has done for uh the majority of his career with his curveball and his four seamer and his sequencing location that's really important uh to me so that's where I'm at with those guys. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that is fair. I, I, you know, look, we've we've touched on this before. Like, I think obviously you would love to be in a situation where one of these guys was, you know, just performing like a complete stud, and it was a no brainer. Like, okay, we found ourselves a you know top of the rotation arm. They're settled in stuff like that. But 
you know, it's not how it worked out. And for Steele and Thompson, that was a pipe dream anyway, just given where they were coming from in terms— Even for Alzali, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, and, you know, Alzali's in this role now coming out of the bullpen because of the pitch limit. We talked about the Cubs' decision to do that rather than him just getting a couple more starts to finish out the year. Um, So, again, you know, you'd you'd love for it to be sort of a more obvious, like, they're just lights out every day— but we knew that it was going to be a process with these guys. And I think you, you know, everything that we've seen, um, you know, to different degrees for each of the guys and, and future potential roles, I, I think you've seen stuff that allows you to continue trusting that process. And you go into the off season, you'll get into the pitch lab, head into spring training, and, you know, they'll continue the work. And I think there's stuff to be looking forward to with each of these guys in terms of what they can bring to the team in 2022. But just right. to finish, uh, we don't always talk about prospects, although this is now, the, I think, the second episode in a row where we'll end up talking about prospects. Um, usually, we have Greg or Brian or, or somebody else on to help discuss these guys with us, but d- did just want to bring all of y'all's attention uh, to someone other than Brennan Davis. Keep paying attention to Brennan Davis because he is the man, um, but want to draw your attention to one James Triantos, who the Cubs selected in this year's draft. And if you remember around the time, that was a pick that was not necessarily maligned, but it, it clearly when you read all of the reactions and the evaluations, the takeaway was that the Cubs' internal scouting was had a different opinion of him, a much higher opinion of him than maybe everybody else necessarily did. Um, A high school hitter, he's only 18 years old, right? So it it was not necessarily seen as a slam dunk decision, but the Cubs were very convicted in what they believed he could do. And at least so far in the Arizona Complex League, it looks like the Cubs were very correct and very um, we, we should all be very glad that they were so convicted in what they saw in his ability. Uh, so far, and this was heading into Sunday, uh, but in 25 games in the Arizona Complex, the, you know the problem with this, and I don't know if we've talked about this, you can't abbreviate that, Brendan. What, you can't say ACL when you're talking about someone. It's, it's going to freak everybody out. Why do they change the I, name? I don't even know what the name it was It used before. to be the Arizona Summer so League. What are they doing? I don't know. Go back to ASL. This is ridiculous. I don't know, but you can't like you can't say that. Oh, I want to talk about James Triantos in the ACL. Everybody's going to go, <laughs> right. what? His what? Right. No, no, he's fine. Anyway, the Arizona <laughs> Complex League, 25 games. He's got a 327 batting average, a 970 OPS. He had two home runs in Saturday's game. And, you know, this is for an 18-year-old out of high school who also pitched in high school. And I think on the broadcast the other day, they were saying he can touch, you know, mid, like, upper 90s if he's pitching. So this is just an uber-talented kid, but when you look at the numbers for such a young player, and then you watch these videos of his swing and his hands getting through the zone and stuff like that, like, again, this is like the, you know, the lowest level um, in, you know, U.S. pro ball, right? Like, you know, you have guys in the DSL who are young and stuff like that, but this is, you know, the lowest level here. And he's 18 years old, so of course you you want to temper a big difference between like when we get excited about what Brennan Davis is doing and what James Triantos is doing. But I think Brennan, like you know, what he's done here in this short time is worth putting on people's radar if it wasn't already. 
Well, it's fun too when you have someone who's just drafted two months ago come out and put up numbers instantly as an 18 year old. I think you have to at least be like, huh, you know, maybe Dan Kantrovitz and his scouting team is changing the direction of this franchise because we never had guys um, that young in the past do this. Listen, like we're not scouts or anything. I know you worked in a front office, Corey. Uh, I, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, this guy's just like a slam dunk. His, his his swing though is beautiful. That's the best like the best way I can describe it. His and I when I when I play when I, when I played baseball when I played baseball back in high school, like I and I still like did this even you know recently. Like I like I just obsessively watched so many guys' swings because I was such a such a talented baseball player back then, Corey. I needed to do that, but. If you look at Trianta's swing, and you can see it on YouTube and you know Twitter now, they're all go to my, go to my Twitter page. You'll you'll, you'll see it uh, all over. His swing is so simple as a teenager. It's so powerful, but yet not violent as a teenager. It kind of really it it blows you away because you typically see guys that young, and even Brennan Davis was a perfect example with swings that obviously need refinement. But when you look at Triantos, his swing, his hand positioning, it's all so simple. It's a minimal stride, minimal hand movement. The bat absolutely explodes through the zone. And you don't see that for players at his age. You don't see that for guys who just played high school baseball. What was it like? I don't even know, like five months ago, whatever they are now at, th- at this point, you just don't see that. And so I think it has to go on your radar. And it's not to say this guy is going to go through, you know, Myrtle Beach and then Tennessee and then Iowa. He's going to be up in two years. No, not not at all. Mo- the reality is most players, they just kind of fizzle out. And that's just the nature of how hard this sport is. But Triantos, it might be different because in my in in my brain watching these guys in the, in in the past decade at these lower levels trianto stands out man it's 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 really impressive and again just to emphasize the point look at video with Brennan Davis in AA and now you know AAA in Iowa look at what he looked like as a high schooler as you know a rookie ball player very different guy. You can obviously see the swing changes he made. And you can tell he kind of looks a little a, a little bit like an amateur, as most high school players do. And then you look at James Triantos, and you're like, whoa, who is this? And the numbers are backing it up. Corey, I mean, they have like four home runs. And by the way, that ballpark, that Mesa ballpark, that is Wrigley Fuel Dimensions on steroids. That wall is further back than the Wrigley Dimensions. He's blasting baseballs over a <laughs> a ballpark that's bigger than Wrigley Field. That's that's entirely impressive, Corey. Yeah. So, you know, again, like the the Cubs have a lot of young talent. We mentioned a lot of those names. I know Brendan, even earlier when we were talking, mentioned a lot of the names that came back at the deadline and stuff. Um, but just wanted to, you know, put this on your radar, especially after the two home run performance on Saturday, just really impressive. And, uh, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of like starting to bubble up with excitement when like all of the prospect guys, 
um, you know, on, on social media are kind of in unison going like, okay, like I'm, I'm getting pretty <laughs> hyped here. Cause, uh, you know, a lot of them like try to be measured and reserved with when they let the hype kind of seep out. And, you know, just sort of this recent stretch for Triantos has kind of brought it out of everybody. Like, okay, what is going on here? Like this guy is, you know, clearly like a name that you need to be paying attention to. So that's, uh, yeah, yep. a name to be paying attention to. That's where we are. Okay, so let's preview this upcoming, what is this, a two-game set against the Twins. We have an off day Monday, which is when you're listening to this most likely. Tuesday, the Twins come to Wrigley Field for a 6.40 p.m. start time. They'll be throwing, who is this? Uh, They'll be throwing Griffin Jacks. Honestly, I've never heard of this guy in my entire life, but Griffin Jacks will be throwing for the Twins. Uh, On the year, he's 3-4 with a 6.65 ERA. Alec Mills pitching for the Cubs this season. He's 6-6 with a 4.5 ERA. Quick two-game set. Wednesday, they're back at it. 6.40 p.m. start time. Kyle Hendricks pitches for the Cubs. Hopefully, Kyle, the command, looks better that start. He's 14-6 and six with a 4.81 ERA. And then for the Twins, they have Joe Ryan, who you might remember. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. But he made his Major League debut against the Cubs. Uh, what was it, like a month ago or so ago? And he has a weird fastball. His velocity's not the best, but somehow he's able to generate more whiffs on it. And the reason is because his release point might be hidden a little bit more. I know you really care about this, but uh, that's, I don't know, something to to look for if you do watch these games. Quick two game set. I just want to get the complete picture here. So they have an off game, uh, off day on Thursday. And then St. Louis comes to Wrigley for a four game set. They have a double header on Friday, actually. And so St. Louis right now is... I mean, I can't believe they're doing this, but they're, they're, they're having a hold of the second wildcard spot. And so that might be an opportunity for the Cubs to play in like a pseudo playoff environment this upcoming weekend. And they'll have two off days. And I wonder if Ross is going to kind of use that pseudo playoff environment and use these multiple off days to kind of prep for that. So I don't know if that's going to be like what they're going to end up doing, but something to monitor for the series. Yeah. So, uh, you know, look, like I don't, I don't have much to say about this twin series. Uh, you know, there's a couple off days this week, so, you know, try to enjoy those. Um, and, you know, get ready. Like we got the, the Cubs last homestand coming up and, uh, you know, for as tiring and, and stressful and sad and up and down as this season has been, you know, we're going to be without Cubs baseball. And soon enough after that, we're going to be without baseball in general back again, you know, for a while. So, um, you know, kind of just calibrate yourselves for that and enjoy it in, in whatever way you can. But uh, I'm, I'm gearing up for these Cardinals series, man. They, they owe us, they owe us this, right? to show up for those series and try to keep the Cardinals out of the playoffs. Um, I don't expect, you know. So let's sweep them. I, they they just, they owe it to us, don't they? After everything that we've been through. I mean, through, they, listen, Corey, they owe a lot Well, to yes, us. They, uh, I mean, this is a low <laughs> so. bar. This is a very low bar that we're asking <laughs> yeah. for from them. But, you know, you're not going to make the playoffs. We went through a horrific, emotional, distressing trade deadline. Please just show up for those games against the Cardinals let me ask you a question. Yes. I don't even know if you're... I, you may scream at me for asking well, I'm this question. Mad, I don't even, so. I, oh God. I mean, are, are you going to go to the Leicester game? You are, right? No. You're not going to No way. Out? Good for you, man. Have you gone to like a Leicester game since? No, I wasn't in town when he came back with uh, Washington. Okay. I can't... I Look, I love the Why? man. 
um, he'll, you know, at least uh, we'll see what happens as, as we grow older and stuff like that. But he remains my favorite <laughs> player of all time. I cannot, I, I, dude, it's the Cardinals, man. You know what I mean? I know he didn't yeah, choose to like, go there, but I, I can't do that. Yeah. Because there, there, I mean, there's, there's two options sense. for that game, and they're both bad for your boy Corey over here, right? One is that the Cubs beat John Lester, which is, you know, they're beating the Cardinals, so that's fine in a vacuum. I don't like watching John give up runs. I felt that way even watching the Cubs-Nationals game on TV, right? The other outcome is that John Lester sets a career milestone, which hopefully he just sets earlier, uh, I think it's tomorrow, um, and gets that out of the way. But the other option is he sets a career milestone at Wrigley Field against the Cubs as a St. Louis Cardinal. Just a nightmare scenario. Can I, can so I, no. Hold on. I, let me paint it. Let me paint a potential scenario oh, for you. Okay. I don't know if you thought about this. I'm just going to do it. Uh, let's say he does get that milestone. Uh, you know, there is a very real possibility that Wrigley gives him a standing ovation for that, and he tips his cap to the Wrigley crowd, and you're not going to be there for that? Oh, Maybe man. Not, which is fine. As a Cardinal, I, I, Brendan? Corey, he's a Cobb dude. Like, oh. who the, like, who, like, who cares? This is like, no one's going to remember him as a Cardinal. I, like, bro, I know, but it's just like, even in the scenario you're throwing out there, he's going to, he's going to fin- you know, he'll finish the game and hug Yadier Molina before tipping his cap to the crowd. Me, I, it's just, no ugh. Way. Really, it's unfair to us is the moral of the point. I don't know. Maybe I'll go. I, you know, you know I'm a glutton for punishment, so, <laughs> right? I'm, like, like, shocked you're not going to go. This is, so th- this is the breaking point for you. We finally figured well, it out. Well, I have to have John some level of emotional self-care, right? Not no, really I don't. Nice. Like, I think I the people in that. my life would hope that I would, though. No, I, I think at this point you and I both struggle oh, with that. So we just man. go full out. Give me, give me no, maybe pain. I will. Let, let burn, I know man. it's easy for let me to burn. say I won't, but I just know. it's unfair to us. Like if he's doing this as a national, like who cares? But like the Cardinals, man, yeah. Dude, the Cardinals suck, man. No one cares. Oh about man, I don't even want to hear. It. Their jerseys suck. The city sucks. Like no offense to the, to those who live in St. Louis, just understand where I'm talking about. You have like McDonald's arches out there in your city. Who cares? Who? No one cares about the Cardinals. I think I you're projecting, Brendan. But I am projecting, but I don't even uh, care. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I think that's what we have for you here on this episode. Enjoy the off days this week. Uh, Get ready for a weird series and hopefully a fun one for the Cubs trying to play spoiler next weekend against the Cardinals. Uh, But otherwise, for now, thank you guys, as always, for listening to, downloading, and supporting the Cubs-related podcast. We will talk to you in a few days after the Cubs and Twins wrap up. And as always, go Cubs!